Hey, it's Scott Petrak with another episode of the Brown Zone Zone Coverage Podcast. It's Thanksgiving week. I had a few puns that I'll skip. So we're taping this early in the week in case you want to tune out your relatives and listen to this later on. The Browns fell to 3-7 and seven with a loss to the Buffalo Bills in Detroit. I never figured I'd have to say that sentence. And I have one more game before Deshaun Watson returns. Here to break it all down is Dave Chodowski of Go, the WKYC Morning News. What's going on, Chud? Scott, how are you? I'm uh, I'm hanging in. Boy, yeah, I mean, if, if, if we're better than the relatives, then uh, <laughs> the listeners have some serious problems. But uh, anyway, yeah, no, that's good. Um, yeah, I'm ready. Uh, tomorrow I got a big project I've been working on at work on Go in the morning. I'm doing We're doing our hometown series. So uh, doing a special on St. Rayfield's where oh, nice. I went, uh, grade school and church growing up in Bay Village, and uh, special uh, – Something that uh, I do with my daughter now. She plays the guitar, and uh, I used to play the bass guitar. So we uh, jammed out together, and, uh, you know, it should be a fun story. So if you get a chance, tune in or check it out on uh, social media. Oh, that's fun. We used to uh, play St. Rayfield's in uh, – it wasn't CYO basketball. It was like the West Side Suburban League when I was uh, at St. Mary's in Berea. And a bunch of my buddies uh, send their kids there right now. So that's cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no doubt. Uh, uh, yeah, it's good. I mean, you know, St. Chris, St. James, uh, you know, back there used to be St. Richard's no more. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, St. Angela, St. Brendan, St. Bernadette. So all yeah. on the West side. Uh, Those are all yeah, the ones so, we played. So yeah. good stuff there. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, yeah, I know. Memory, memory lane. I think, um, when I played at St. Rayfield's football, sixth, seventh and eighth grade, we never lost a game. I think we were like 20, Oh, and one. Oh, man. I think combined. Yeah, we, we were really good. Um, so it was fun. But uh, anyway, I guess on Thanksgiving week, we can take a trip down memory lane. And let's be honest, it's prob- probably more exciting to talk about than what we're about to now. Um, I guess my first question is, what was it like in there? Uh, you know, someone that I know was there said it felt kind of like a bowl game, a college bowl game. But uh, what was the environment like, especially after all that uh, snow and everything during the weekend. And we pretty much figured when we talked last, this might happen. So uh, what was it like? Yeah, you know what? It was pretty cool. And I don't know if you've been in that press box or not, Judd, but because yeah. it's a dome, it's open, right? So you get yep. to hear the crowd like you're sitting in the crowd. Uh, you know, and you're way high up. You're as high as up as you can go, the seventh floor uh, of the of Ford Field. But that's different because in Cleveland, you're inside the press box. You can hear stuff, but you can't hear it the same and this is loud you know I mean I had a headache it's loud music it's cheering you but it's it's cool to be able to experience that and get the true feel for the environment and there were 50,000 people there I think there were 52 some and it's a 65,000 seat stadium so it wasn't completely full they sold the, all those tickets and I think it was three hours I would mostly Bills fans you know I don't know if it's 60 40 65 35 definitely more Bills fans but it was their home game that you had to buy tickets through their app, whether or not you were a season ticket holder or um, just through the Bills app once the season ticket holders got to um, buy their tickets. But, you know, I saw a bunch of – there was plenty of orange there when Amari Cooper caught his touchdowns and made catches. There was a loud coop chant, you know, but the Bills were louder because there were more of them. Uh, but even in the hotel, I, you know, I stayed up there Saturday night and the hotel was full of Bills fans and Browns fans. And the same thing when went out to dinner. So uh, it was it was kind of a it was a cool experience, um, and I was glad we didn't have to make that drive through six feet of snow. 
Yeah, no doubt. I don't know if I want to talk too much about the game, but I mean, obviously we have to, but really I, I think it's just the same old story, right? I mean, a strong start. You're like, here we go. They get the lead. The bill's very lethargic. Maybe they were a little tired from uh, having to just get there. What a wild adventure they had to go on just to get there. Uh, maybe that was the case with them. I don't know, but it wasn't the Bills team that you normally see for the first quarter and a half, at least. Uh, but same old story, right? A lot of it, you know, look good early. You know, they hung around the Browns. Not only did they hang around, they dominated early. But I don't think Buffalo had a first down on the first three possessions on his first three possessions. You know, the Browns led uh, Buffalo's only points were after a bad punt and a big punt return with a bunch of missed tackles. So the Browns were playing well. And then mistakes started to happen. And they, and to me, you know, we can focus on the defense and that's fine. And it's the defense deserves to be criticized. I think Buffalo had seven straight possessions until the kneel down at the end when it scored. So, you know, obviously your defense isn't stopping them enough. They did, the Buffalo was forced to kick six field goals. So the defense, you know, got a couple of stops, I suppose. But so the defense can be criticized all you want. And that's fair. But to me, you know, this game got out of hand in the, in the third quarter, early in the fourth quarter. And, and to me, it came down to missed opportunities on offense. Because you know Buffalo's going to score, right? They have Josh Allen, they have Stephon Diggs, they have Gabriel Davis. Uh, you know, and they didn't, none of those guys had a great game. Um, but they just, they have weapons, right? You figure they're going to score points. You had to keep up. And I thought the Browns were in position to match score for score and was unable to do so. And first you had... It, I want to, it's the second quarter. You had Harrison Bryant and Farrell Brown, your backup tight ends, drop touchdown passes on back-to-back throws. And you have to settle for a field goal, right? So there's four points off the board. Then you have Jacoby Brissett loses a fumble on the center quarterback exchange, probably because you have a backup center because Ethan Postich had to leave. Postich had to leave on the second snap. He only played two snaps. Hadn't missed a snap all year. You have to play Yelda Froholt, who's normally a guard. And you have a fumbled snap. That happens, but it takes you, it robs you of a possession, especially when you're in Buffalo territory. Then there's a chance when the in the third quarter, I believe, uh, when the Browns had third and one and fourth and one, tried two quarterback sneaks in a row, which has been successful all year long, right? Jacoby Brissett's been great at that, and he gets stuffed both times. Now you can question whether or not you should be doing a quarterback sneak behind a backup center. I think that's fairly, I think that's fair to question or criticize Kevin Stefanski for doing that back-to-back snaps with a backup center. But those are points off the board because that was inside Buffalo's 30. And then when Cade York had a 34-yard field goal blocked, his third block kick of the year, a low kick, he needs to get better on that. There's no question about it. Um, Before the block kick, Harrison Bryant, again, the tight end, had a chance to come down in the back of the end zone with the touchdown and couldn't get a second foot inbounds. Now, it wasn't an automatic catch. Some people may look at it and say, yeah, we're not counting that as a drop. I think it's a play he should have made. So you're talking about if you just take the two tight ends, two tight end plays, that's 11 points off the board. That doesn't count the fumbled snap or getting stuffed on third and one and fourth and one sneaks, right? So the Browns had a chance to score with Buffalo and didn't. And then in the meantime, special teams as bad as it has been all year in defense, you know, gave up points after points after points. So I think it was collective effort. I guess my long way of saying it, it didn't feel exactly the same to me 
because I felt like the offense, when it has lulls, has had lulls in the past, and not to say it didn't have any, but I felt like the opportunities were there to score a lot more points. And from an execution standpoint, the Browns are unable to get it done. I just sit and I watch this team, and I, th- <clears throat> I think they draft a kicker, and that's not panning out right now. You can look at, obviously, they don't have the quarterback they want in there, but I don't know if you can blame Brissett um, all that much. But, you know, you're, you're not looking at the guy that is eventually going to be the guy. And then I just sit there and think, man, if they had Travis Kelsey or Mark Andrews, whoa, that would be amazing. It just seems like these tight ends, it feels like they're talented guys, right? But they just don't step up. I mean, and when I say that, you know, I don't know Brown as much, but the other two, right? Yeah, and it's tough. I mean, David Njoku had missed two games with a high ankle sprain, so he was on a snap count. So he wasn't going to play as much, and that created more opportunities for the other two guys. And, you know, maybe they're open because of the backups, right? Maybe if David Njoku's in the game and he runs a skinny post, he's covered, so you don't have the same opportunities. But whether that's the case or not, your guys were open in the end zone with a chance to make plays. Your quarterback made the throw, and these guys didn't make the catches. And that's big. And when we talk about everything that goes wrong, I think that needs to be mentioned. Because I thought it played a huge role in the game, along with, like I said, the fumble snap and then the quarterback sneaks. But, and you can, you know, one of those is bad luck. And maybe, in, you know, the product of having a backup center in there, and we can rip um, Kevin Stefanski's play calling on the, on the sneaks, even though it's been almost automatic all year long. But, you know, there's so much, I guess, I, I wanted to get to this, Chuck, because there's so much focus on coaching, right? And what's going wrong with the coaching. And I'm not saying the coaches aren't responsible for a lot of this. What I'm saying is it's also an execution issue. And the players have a chance to make plays and have a chance to keep this team in the game and turn the momentum, right? It feels like every time something bad happens. And I think the first bad thing that happened on Sunday was, the fumbled snap. Then there's this feeling of, uh-oh, right? It's all going to go bad. It's going to snowball. And too many times it does snowball. And there's not a player to step up and say, it's going to stop. And how it stopped us. And I asked Stefanski this on Monday. I said, how do you stop that? He goes, somebody's got to make a play, right? And he wasn't, like, blaming somebody in particular. But we have to make a play. You have to get the momentum back. And this team just has not been able to do that. There's been some talk question has the team given up do you do you think that's fair to even ask I mean yeah I mean it's fair to ask I think I I don't get that impression at all um you know I mean I'm watching these guys it feels to me like they play hard I'm not saying every guy on every snap is giving a hundred percent because I don't think that's I don't know maybe it's not reasonable to expect that in the NFL you beat up you don't always feel your best right it's the end of a long game you know it's a loss um, but I've not gotten the I've not gotten the sense that this team in general is not giving a hundred percent effort. I, I just haven't gotten that. Should do you see it differently? Yeah, I, I don't think it up. No, I, I don't. I mean, especially with the you know the way they come out at the beginning of the game and, and the fact that you know even in these games that they they lose, you know, there's been games where they potentially could have taken it if one thing goes this way or one goes another. So, you know, I don't think it's necessarily lack of effort. I agree. And, and I, you know, you can call them garbage touchdowns and I get it, 
But the op- offense obviously did not give up the other day. They scored two touchdowns in the last, whatever it was, five or six minutes, right? They have a chance at an onside kick to have a miracle force overtime, and it goes off Ronnie Harrison Jr.'s hands, right? Like, you figure the game's over, my story's done, and all of a sudden, touchdown, touchdown, onside kick chance, right? So I, I don't like that characterization. You can criticize a ton of stuff about this team, um, but I'm not ready to criticize the overall effort. So I have one more on that topic, but before we get to that, let's just finish out talking about the game and you know what I found interesting was you know the Bills love to pass and their running game is really not that good right it's Josh Allen and 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 that's the main thing it felt like they're they came out trying to attack through the air and then they all of a sudden figured out oh my gosh everyone else runs on the Browns so can we yeah I I think it's kind of yeah I think that's completely that they they yeah they they let them in in, the Bills with a ton of field goals I mean, that was definitely not a, a Josh Allen-type uh, game. You know, it, 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 the, I guess what I'm trying to say is it's so frustrating because the Bills didn't beat the Browns right. playing their game. They beat the Browns because the Browns can't stop the run. They, they knew what they think that, you know, it's more about what the Browns can't do than what the Bills did yeah. do. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly right. And we saw it the week before against Miami, right? You keep the Browns hold Tyreek Hill in check. They pretty much hold Jalen Waddle in check. And yet, they're blown out, and they give up a million yards on the ground, right? Yeah, it's Sunday. Josh Allen throws for 200 yards. He runs for 197, something like that. Um, He runs for seven yards, right? This is a guy that had almost 500 yards coming into the game, and he runs for seven. And it didn't matter because because they were able to run the ball as well as they were. They had – Good special teams, right? Their guy made all six field goals. They had a big punt return that led to a field goal. They, they did a bunch of other stuff correct. They got the one turnover on the Browns fumble um, where they didn't need their best player and probably their two best players. It's probably Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs. They did not need those two guys to carry them. And you're 100% right. The biggest reason that that was the case is because the Browns can't stop the run. Other teams know that. And – if you're struggling offensively, and even if you're not, you can just turn around and hand the ball off, and odds are you're going to move the ball up and down the field. How about the Browns' running game? That's that that took a lot of criticism. With would, would they have 80 yards? Chubb, uh, his typical type game, not even close. I mean, I don't know. Where's the blame go on that? Or yeah. you know, I mean, is that just the other team's better and stops you? Is it a you know a, a coaching issue? Is it an execution issue? Yeah, it's, it's a good question, and I'm glad you brought that up. I had written down here. I wanted to talk about Chubb real quick. 14 carries, 19 yards, 1.4 a carry. I mean, you never see those numbers from Nick Chubb. He hasn't had in his whole career, it's his fifth year, he's had one game with less yards per carry, and he had like three carries for two yards. It was like the fifth game of his rookie season when he wasn't getting the ball, and they still had Carlos Hyde. So it's that's not a Nick Chubb performance. And – what skewed it or what changed the stats is that he had six carries that lost yardage and it combined for minus 18 yards. Now, even if, even if those turn into zero yards, right, it's still, he's only at whatever, 37 yards. So it's not like he had a, would have had a big day anyway, but there was penetration. And I, I think you have to point to the offensive line. Um, the D, the bills are good. They're good up front on defense, 
But when you're missing your center, and Ethan Posick had played really well this whole season, you're missing him. Why Teller's coming back from a cap? Didn't look good early. I thought he played better as the game went on. Jack Conklin's dealing with the foot injury that he wound up leaving in the fourth quarter. He expects to play again this week, but he's obviously not 100%. I think you put all those things together, and that leads to what happened. And the other factor, Chud, and this maybe supersedes everything I just said, is when the defense thinks you're going to run the ball, and that's what your strength is, teams say we're going to take that away. And maybe and I expect that to change when Deshaun Watson plays. But right now, with Jacoby Brissett, I would look down from the press box and see eight, nine guys at the line of scrimmage, which is why you see Brissett throwing the ball downfield, because it doesn't make sense to beat your head against the wall. And we've had this conversation. And people who kill Kevin Stefanski for not running the ball more, that's the reason. The other team is saying, beat us another way. We're not going to let you run the ball down our throats. And when the Bills had success saying taking that away early, then the Browns had to throw it. And they had some success throwing. Not enough, obviously. But I think it's all a combination of that. And But they have to be better, right? You have to overcome that. And Stefanski said, when we don't run the ball well early in downs or, you know, on first or second down and leave themselves second and long, third and long, they're behind the eight ball because, you know, they don't want – Jacoby Brissett dropping back a ton of times. They don't want the protection to be tested a bunch of times. So so it's troubling because it's a couple games in a row where the Browns have not had their usual success running the ball. Um, and, you know, against Tampa Bay, I don't think it's going to be any easier. Tampa's got some guys up front. Um, I think they're really good against the run. I watched that Seattle game, and they did a good job um, stopping Seattle running the ball. So – I'm not sure it gets fixed by this weekend, even though the Browns are going to put a lot of effort into trying to find something, whether it's a scheme, a couple of specific plays that they can use to really have success because they need it. They need to have a couple bread and butter plays where they can run the ball and at least gain a few yards for this offense to operate the way they want it to. It needed. So I think back to all of the conversations we had uh, at the beginning of the year, before the year started, trying to break down how many wins we thought they'd have before Watson came back, how many wins they would have at the end of the year. I think we were around eight or nine. Uh, that's not looking great now. What do we have? Uh, seven games left. Yep. So you got to, if you win all seven, you win 10. I mean, they go six and one, right? They win nine. That's where we're at. Yeah. Yeah. They have seven games left. They're yeah. three and so, seven. I mean, yeah. I yeah. Mean, it's, it's a match. The match is not. Yeah, I, I guess. Up. I guess. Yeah, I, I don't think we're necessarily surprised. I, I thought maybe they'd have maybe two more wins right now or one more win with the chance of trying to get – but I don't think we're shocked at where we're at necessarily is what I'm trying to say. But I, I guess this is my – this is the big question I want to ask you. Yes. Do you feel like it's a lost season? Is, it, is the season – is it just, you know – you know, I mean, that's the best way I can ask it. Is it a lost season? I say yes. Now, with the caveat that if – Somehow they get crazy hot. Um, not even if they don't make the playoffs, but if they just string some wins together, which they haven't won two games in a row in the same season since early in 2021. So it's hard to expect them to string string wins together. But if that happened, if Watson looks like the player they think he is, then I wouldn't be comfortable calling it a lost season. But I I'm comfortable calling it a lost first 11 weeks, first 
a lost first 10 games without a doubt. And, and you're right, Chad. I didn't expect them to have a much better record. I thought maybe, you know, they, I thought four or five when Watson came back seemed it seemed realistic to me. But what has surprised me and maybe even shocked me is the way that they've gotten to three and seven. Because it's not because the offense is holding it back. It's not because Jacoby Brissett is not playing well enough. It's because everything else isn't working. The defense you thought would be so much better. Special teams you thought would be so much better. And those areas have let down this team where if you just said, hey, this Jacoby Brissett's going to play like a top whatever quarterback, right? And I know there's metrics that have him a top seven. That seems way too high to me. But whatever. He's playing like an average to above average quarterback. If you told me that at the beginning of the year, I said, yeah, the Browns would have – they'd probably be five and five right now. And, you know, we can argue that it should be, right? They shouldn't have lost the Jets game. You can find another win out there. We talked about that at nauseum. But the point is they're not, and the reason they're not is because defense and special teams have been so bad. All right, so we uh, we talk about another lost opportunity. Now we move on. Anything else before we move on to uh, Tampa Bay? Well, real quick, I, I think we need to – I kind of reference it there, but Joe Woods and or Mike Prefer, defensive coordinator, special teams coordinator, they're yes, not making yes. a move, right? Kevin Spansky, he didn't even – he got asked about it directly twice and said, we're focused on this week and getting a win. So he didn't even say – I mean, he didn't, like, give a vote of confidence. He didn't say, I love those guys. He just said, I'm focused on this week. But obviously, neither of those guys is getting fired before the Tampa Bay game. So my question to you is, is that a mistake? Should there be such a drastic move with seven games left um, with the bye already out of the way? I mean, I guess if you want to prove a point of how bad the, you know, the defense has been, and we talk about it every week, and I'm glad you brought this up because I did have that in my mind to ask you about the Woods situation. But um, I guess my thing is I don't think it's going to change anything unless unless the players just have a major issue with them and they're not playing for him. Is there – I mean, you know, you're in that locker room. You talk to the guys. I mean, is there any chance that could be an issue? I think there is a chance. I've had nobody tell me that. And I know that people are reading into these – the quotes, and I get it. That's what we do. And, you know, Miles yeah. Garrett talked about we're not playing placing enough importance on takeaways in practice. Yet, I know how much the coaches stress that. So, to me, that was almost like Miles talking to his teammates and saying, we're not doing it enough. We have goals. Our coaches tell us we need to get 10 strips a day. And I'm just throwing out these numbers, random numbers. And they fall short of that. Is that a coaching issue? Now, everything falls back to coaches. We talked about that. But you get what I'm saying? Like, it felt to me like, yes, the coaches stress it. We're not doing enough. And then when Grant Delpit says, well, you can't trust your teammates if everyone doesn't know what they're doing. Well, you can also read that to be the coach didn't doesn't have us prepared. But you can look at it like, hey, my guy next to me doesn't know what he's doing. Right? The guy goes in motion for the Bills, and no one runs with Stephon Diggs. I'm sure Joe oh. Woods in his game plan did not say <laughs> leave Stephon Diggs open. Right. Right. So that's where I think there's it goes beyond Joe Woods, number one. Um, but I to answer your question, I've not had somebody directly go at Joe Woods, which, you know, Miles Garrett kind of did that last year at one point, And I think even J.J. John Johnson, the third after that New England game talked about they're attacking our weaknesses and they know what we're going to do. Uh, the quotes this year are much more nebulous and guys just haven't been willing to kind of pin themselves down. Um, so. 
I'm with you. I would not fire. I would not necessarily fire Joe Woods. If they did, I wouldn't think it was a terrible mistake. I, I might reek of desperation a little bit from Kevin Stefanski because I think it's against his personality, right, to make this kind of move in season. So I, I would kind of question that a little bit. Like, oh, you know, is Kevin kind of, you know, wave, wavering, you know, is he waffling mm-hmm. on his kind of core beliefs? Um, but you're right. So the only – I think the reason I would make that switch is if I felt like the players were no longer playing for Joe Woods. And I cannot say that it's reached that point. Maybe it has, but I'm, yeah. not, I'm not ready to say that. That's the only way I would do it is if you knew internally you just had to make the move because you could not get through the rest of the year. Now, on a positive note, I well, on a negative note, they they ended the year so good on defense last year, and that's why there was all that excitement. Right. But again, I don't think the competition, you know, remember how weak mm-hmm. their schedule was at the end of last year? So, you know, there's that to consider. And certainly the – I mean – if he if he did get fired, you wouldn't say, "Oh my gosh, I can't believe that." I mean, you know, obviously it's been terrible, but you make a lot of good points about that. It's a perfect example with the digs play, you know that that's that's on the players. But one thing I will say, I, I just think it's not fair. I don't think Jimmy Haslam and the organization and the front office put this team in a position to where we can really criticize the coaches. And the players, because of the Deshaun Watson yeah. situation hanging over their heads. Now, I'm not giving them an excuse, but I think I need to see the whole season before we start saying what necessarily has to happen, if that makes sense. Yeah. I don't, you know, when Watson comes back, I'm going to bring up this. And, and when LeBron James was on the Cavs, he made that team better because he was the best player in the game. He made guys that would have been just, I mean, it never would have succeeded without him, right? They never would have gotten to the championship type uh, level of a team. And my question to you is, when you bring Watson in, and this is if they can get over the black cloud that surrounds them with mm-hmm. the whole off-the-field issues, sure. but let's say Watson comes in and turns everything around offensively, does that then feed into the defense where when you have more confidence and you feel like you're uh, in a better situation, all of a sudden, you know, it – because you, we always hear the talents there on defense. Do you know what I mean? Do you think one guy can just change it all around to where you're in those big games and then uh, the defense and the special teams, they start playing better because it just kind of like feeds, you know? It, yeah. It's contagious. Yeah, I, I do. Um, I think that's a lot to ask of him, especially this year, you know, when he hasn't played 700 days when he comes back. But I do, Chud, and I think when the Browns set this whole thing up, and I'm talking – Paul D. Podesta, Andrew Barry, right, right? The guys at the top of the front office, when they put this whole plan together, it was, we're going to have a dynamic quarterback and a dynamic offense that scores a bunch of points, and we don't need to be perfect on defense. And we're going to get leads, and then the other team's going to have to throw the ball because we're going to be ahead. And that unleashes Miles Garrett, and it unleashes Jadavion Clowney, and then we don't have to worry about our defensive tackle stopping the run. Now, that might be a pie-in-the-sky philosophy, and obviously it hasn't worked without Deshaun Watson. And I'm sure there'll be plenty of games, if Deshaun Watson were quarterback, where it might not work either. But I I'm, I think you're right, number one, that it has a ripple effect throughout the team if you have an elite player at the most important position in the game. I think that's undeniable. But I also think it affects how you play the game and where you need to invest some of your – you know, where you need to invest your resources. 
And I'm not saying that's the perfect um, strategy for the front office to take. And I'm sure plenty of people would rip it and think, hey, if we if you can never stop the run, it's, it doesn't matter who's playing quarterback for you. And I get, understand that argument. But I know that that is part of the Browns thinking is what, in their roster construction is that overall plan to take a lead early, turn it over the run, get after the quarterback. Like they have a blueprint that they've been unable to follow. And a lot of the reason they've been unable to follow it is because they don't have an elite quarterback. Um, and then one quick other point is when we talk about Joe Woods, it, it needs to be said that he's handcuffed by some of the guys on the roster. The fact that they don't have two, they don't have good D tackles, right? Their linebacking core has been beaten up by injury, but there's also not a lot invested in there. And that's who you look to when you're talking about defending the run. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying at all that Joe Woods couldn't be better, but it's hard to stop the run when your deep tackles are bad and are playing poorly. And that's where the Browns are right now. So this blame needs to be spread around to players, coaches, and I would say personnel department. All right. Ready for prediction time? I am. All right. Uh, so let's go here. Uh, we are the Browns are three and seven. Scott is five and five, and I'm six and four after we both came up victorious last week with our prediction with uh, many or most people probably in the NFL. <laughs> so uh, let's see. Here's the thing. I, I'll tell you what. I can I cannot get this team right when it comes to the spread. I mean, they get the backdoor cover this past week. Yeah. Uh, you know, I took the points in my prediction um, the week before, and they get, you know, crushed. I, I just, you know, I might be six and four straight up, but I'm certainly not that with the line. You know, it's, I hear it's, you. Not, it's not easy to figure this team out with the line. It's not. And that was a tough one last week. I think I wound up going six, but then I'm in some pool and I picked the bills to cover. Um, so I, with us, I was right because I think the line wound up sitting at eight or eight and a half. Um, <laughs> But yeah, it's it's this league is so hard, Chad. You know that. And but this yeah. game is also hard to pick with the spread. Yeah, no doubt. Buccaneers minus three and a half, 43 and a half is the over under. So I'm gonna uh I'm gonna let you go first on this one. All right. Um uh, you know, it's probably and we could have we probably would have said this a decade ago, but it's probably Tom Brady's uh last game in Cleveland, right? Or it certainly could be. So that that makes it worth something, um, I think. You know, I'm excited to see him in person again. I'm sure Browns defenders are excited to play against him. So I think that adds um, a big level of buzz to this matchup when otherwise there might not be with the Browns having lost six of seven. I think weather might be a factor. I was watching your buddy Betsy Kling earlier, and she talked about rain and I think some wind. So maybe that levels it a little bit. Um, Tampa Bay has been playing better lately. They have Tom Brady. They have a. They have an ability. I don't think they've been running the ball great, but they have some a new running back. Um, I wrote his name down before, and now I lost it. I think yeah, it's white, right, 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 right. Um, and he adds a dynamic. He adds something there besides just Fournette, and he looked pretty good. And they had the bye week last week. Tampa did, so they won the previous game in Germany. So I watched a Germany game earlier today. It's it's, it's Rashad White, Thank and then you. they also have they have Leonard Fournette, right. And Leonard Fournette usually goes as they go. Like, if they're doing well, he does well. If he doesn't – if they're not doing well, he's kind of mopey. But 
Um, then, and we didn't really break them down at all. And that's probably bad on my part that yeah. I didn't just say it, but you know, they have Evans, they have, um, Godwin and Julio, Godwin and Julio. Obviously you mentioned Brady. Uh, the defense I felt like was better at the beginning of the year, but it just seems like they're starting to get their groove back though. Right. I completely agree with that. And like, I, to me, Fournette is big and slow, you know, and he can have games in certain circumstances, maybe in the slop in Cleveland, it could be. Um, one of those type of games for him. But I really thought White added something to the running game against Seattle. So having said that, you know, the, we talked about the Browns can't stop the run. And if they decide to sell out to stop the run and they play action, you got the best quarterback of all time throwing to three big receivers, right? So it's a tough matchup. Um, I do think the Browns are going to come to play. I think, you know, maybe the weather helps, maybe it doesn't. Um, but I'm going to go Tampa Bay 24, Browns 21. Yeah, so you'll you'll take them with the three and a half. I'll take them with the, with the three and a half. And I, I just feel like, you know, Tampa hasn't exploded on offense. And, you know, maybe the Browns have a last stand in them kind of defensively. And keeping them to 24 isn't great, but it's a step up for the Browns. Like, that kind of feels like the kind of game it's going to be where the Browns play better on defense and still figure out a way to lose. Yeah, I, I, I'll go I'll go 23-20 Tampa Bay. I'll agree with you. I, I'm a little conflicted. I think they could win by six and cover. I, but I definitely think it's going to be right in that area. But I have no idea. Well, like I said, when it comes to the score, it's just so difficult with these guys. But, um, you know, I have a feeling that uh, I think they're going to run all over the Browns. I really do. Uh, Brady will make the, the plays he needs to. And uh, look out for a guy, Kate Ott, in their tight end. Uh, he's been coming on of late. I, I, I could probably see him getting in the end zone. So um, I'll go 23-20, Tampa Bay. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I mean, I like that pick. Um you know, I was just thinking, talk about the Browns running the ball and not being able to do that well the last two weeks. It's going to be hard with Vita Vea, right? He's a stud for Tampa Bay in the middle of that D-line. And the Browns are going to have a backup center in there. It'll probably be Yelda for a hold again because Posick is on IR. Um, they're going to have to figure something out because he's – I don't know if they're going to be able to block him in the middle. They might have to try to go um, outside with Chubb and Hunt to figure out a way to run – the ball you know maybe go really rely on that wide zone scheme because um i think they're going to have a hard time just winning at the point of attack so that's something to keep an eye on um you might need jacoby Brissett to throw it to try to keep up with tom brady and you know they were former teammates but obviously that's really difficult to do all right well scott have a happy thanksgiving um and uh i don't know hopefully you have some time to get with family i know you always have a busy schedule when the browns uh <laughs> you know, play a normal week. So uh, get some turkey and enjoy it. I appreciate it, Chud. You too. Thanks for uh, making time. You enjoy your Thanksgiving. And, hey, everybody out there, happy Thanksgiving. Thanks so much for listening, as always. And you can read all my stories at brownzone.com. Thanks.